Marriage is hard. It is rare that you hear about a couple who have been together for any extended period of time that say they are problem-free. And even then, at least in my experience, this is hearsay. Like a friend claiming their parents have never had a fight, or a Times article celebrating the celebration of a couple's diamond anniversary that is showered with hobbies and interests rather than the underlying cracks. But this is not a complaint about the model of marriage, the construct formed by laws, religion, and cultures. Far from it. I love being married. Beyond my feelings for my partner, there is solace to be found in sharing one's life with another. There are checks and balances. There is support and safety. Now, I know this may not be true of all marriages, but that is the expectation. Not the money or the shared responsibility of home ownership or children. It is the knowledge that with this other person, we don't have to go it alone. But again, this can be hard. For all the perks, a marriage must be worked on, like a house. Repairs must be made. Bills must be paid. Marriage is not a set-it-and-forget-it sort of thing. If you don't actively work on upkeep, the pool in the backyard will stagnate, the pipes will rattle and burst, weeds and vines will choke the life out of what was once beautiful. Now, I'm no marriage counselor, but to me, one of the harder aspects of marriage is the notion of compromise, of convincing your partner to go along with your idea while having to sacrifice their own. Mostly, these can be chalked up to small things, like choosing Mexican over Chinese for dinner, or a paint color for the bathroom. But they rise in not only intensity, but gravity for the relationship. Sometimes there are decisions to be made about taking a new job, or moving to a new state, about children, or a lack thereof, about the future. One partner often needs to sell the other on their vision to convince them. That's when fissures appear. So what happens when these aren't financial decisions or geographic considerations that one tries to convince the other of? What if your spouse is trying to make you believe something to believe in something? What happens when your partner asks you to not disregard their fear to accept that they believe what they've been telling you, and also that it would be in your best interest to truly believe as well. The decision to buy a car or where to school your children, these can be taxing decisions for a couple. But to decide together that, yes, our house is haunted, is an entirely new level of hard. And whichever direction you choose, together, will not only affect your place in this reality, but through the veil as well. Ladies and gentlemen, the doctor is in, and the haunt is on. Chapter 7 Hands, gripping her shoulders, 
wrenching her back and forth. Kate felt as if she were being throttled, and she couldn't see again. Everything was black. She couldn't draw in air. Her chest burned. Panic rose again, sliding back up her throat like bile. She heard the muffled sound of voices. Deep voices. Like she was underwater. Was that it? Was someone holding her beneath the surface? Was this drowning? But then she felt her lips part, and air rushed into her lungs. The breath energized her, and she could feel currents flowing out through her extremities. Everything was still dark, and it wasn't until one of those muffled voices began to sharpen that she realized she only had her eyes shut tight. Tight enough to make her temples throb. Kate, wake up, Denny was saying. She let go. Eyelids, loose, rolling up. The soft glow of the parlor lights flooded in, making her blink. She was no longer being shaken. Denny stood before her, hands on his hips, face curled into a mask of concern. Behind him, Barry sat on the edge of the couch, his face mirroring his son's. Under her elbows and the backs of her thighs, Kate could feel the warm, scratchy fabric of her recliner. She felt wetness on each of her wrists and looked down to see a dog on either side of the chair licking her. The ceiling fan hummed above. Are you okay? Denny asked. Speaking took some effort, as if her vocal cords needed coaxing. But after a moment, Kate said, Yeah, I think so. I was in the basement and there was a mirror and your mom and you were dreaming, Denny said. Pretty rough nightmare from the sound of it. What are, you, what are you talking about? Kate asked, rising from her slouched position in the chair. No, I was in. We heard you screaming from outside, Denny said. His voice had a slight quaver. I thought you were getting killed in there. I almost jumped through the window. Shaking her head, Kate cleared her throat, which felt hoarse, raw. She rubbed her eyes, feeling the dog's saliva coat her eyebrows and cheeks. She said, The basement. What about it? Denny asked. I was down there and your mom, she, she was, honey, you were having a nightmare, Denny said, and moved closer to her again. Must have been a grand slam of one too. But everything was okay, really. Leaning forward, Kate looked down to see her laptop on the floor, screen still displaying the black and white of a student's essay. Denny knelt down and put a hand on Kate's knee. It's all right now. From behind him, Kate could now see that Joan was in the room too, sitting next to Barry on the couch. Though she was just regular old Joan, the sight of her made Kate's breath hitch. As if involuntary, Kate pointed at Joan and blurted, She was choking me! Denny and Barry both looked at Joan, whose face had crumbled into a deep frown. She winced when she heard the full gravity of Kate's words. No one spoke at first. The room was filled only with the sound of Kate's rapid breathing. What do you say in that moment? It was Joan who broke the silence, saying simply, I love you. Kate was clutching the arms of the recliner so hard her knuckles began to ache. When he turned to face his parents, Kate could see Denny was mouthing something to them. 
First Barry, then Jones stood and made their way out of the parlor. Barry said, I think we'll go grab some dinner out, give you a chance to wake up. The sounds of car keys and unlocking doors was followed by an engine starting up. It wasn't until the running motor had faded completely that Kate released her grip on the armrests. Talk to me, babe. Then he now sat on the floor, cross-legged. You haven't had one of these in a while. Far from being plagued by it, Kate had once suffered the occasional bout of sleep paralysis. This was often accompanied by sleeping and waking nightmares. It happened mostly in college, in the dorm, when she was living with roommates. They faded as she got older, but would come back sporadically, as if to remind her that she would never really be free. The last time she had a serious event was right after the couple had gotten married. Their wedding was on the beach in Florida, with friends flying in from across the country. There were countless drinks and photos and sunburns. To offset the tropical vibe, the couple took their honeymoon in the Rockies. As a surprise, Kate booked the first night of their honeymoon adventure at the Stanley Hotel, a beautiful rambling colonial that brought to mind both the gold rush and winter isolation. The hotel was famous for two things. One, being the pride and joy of Freeland Oscar Stanley, who'd made his money in steam engines, and two, for being the inspiration to make Stephen King write The Shining. The author had stayed in the supposedly haunted Room 217 and planned out the entire plot and layout of this fictional Overlook Hotel while he was a guest there. Kate booked them into the, that exact room for four nights. The first night, they went out into the nearby town of Estes Park to have dinner and drinks. The high altitude got them drunker than expected, and they weaved their way back to the hotel by early evening. Denny was snoring by nine that night. Kate had been kept up by the occasional sound of snickering in the hallway, of tourists taking photos of the infamous room. But eventually, she succumbed to the liquor in her system, and she too crashed. Sometime during the night, she was awoken by a cold hand pulling on her foot. When she tried to kick it away, she found that her leg muscles were frozen. Reaching for Denny was useless because her arms were also immobile. Her whole body was. Having been through enough of these, Kate knew just to keep calm and let her body wake up, to catch up with her mind. But the hand wasn't letting her. It had slid up and was gripping Kate's calf. This is all part of it, Kate had thought. She just focused on her closed eyelids. Some people report the sensation of weight, of being sat on or held down. Some see shadowy figures in the room coming closer and hovering over the sufferer as they lay paralyzed. Kate, in addition to her immobilization, never really saw anything. Rather, she felt that someone or something was just out of sight, that she wasn't alone. Each and every time she thought they were going to make their presence known, the freeze would thaw, and she would roll over to Denny or, before, run into the bedroom of one of her friends. The first night of their honeymoon, though, was different. Not that it was the last time she would suffer from the phenomena, but it was the first time the thing revealed itself. The hand clutching her calf moved up to her kneecap, then squeezed her thigh, while a second hand began doing the same on her other side. 
Weight shifted on the bed, and she felt pressure on her legs as the hands moved up her stomach. She wanted to scream, but nothing would come out. She wasn't even breathing, and she realized that it was because the hands were now constricting her windpipe. She wanted to look, to see what had settled its weight on her chest, what was cutting off her air, and Kate had tried to direct what little energy she had coursing through her to reroute and flow back to her face. As she opened her eyes, she expected to see a monster, a tentacled grotesquerie smothering her immobile form. She expected to see some sort of demon, winged or fanged, filled with hatred. She expected to see the devil himself. But what she didn't expect was to see Denny, her husband of two days. At first, the figure was almost shapeless, like black smoke coalescing into the silhouette of a human. But as her eyes adjusted, features came into focus. Bald head, beard, thick-framed black glasses, a babyish face hidden beneath early wrinkles, and hair, and the black bags underneath his eyes. The caring, unpredictable man she'd fallen in love with and agreed to marry was on top of her, strangling her. As the grip on her neck tightened, she realized it wasn't a pair of hands at all. No. It felt connected. It was slick, slimy, like a snake. And though she couldn't turn her head to check, she knew Denny was still sleeping on the other side of the king-size bed. This was not Denny. This was not her husband. This was an imposter. As if this affirmation was an attack, the thing on her chest flinched. The coil around her neck loosened. Denny's features blurred, melted. Then, as if she'd blown at it, the shape splintered, broke apart, and seemed to converge again with the shadows of the room. All movement came back at once. Kate screamed and shot an arm out in Denny's direction. He fell out of bed and moaned on the floor for a brief moment before climbing back up to grab hold of the sobbing Kate. She'd repeated everything she'd seen and felt, leaving out the part of the story that it was Denny who was the villain. And Denny rocked her back and forth, assuring her that she was safe, that it was all in her mind. And they stayed like that until dawn. Though she'd reserved four nights, the couple checked out the next day and spent the rest of their honeymoon drinking at karaoke and one-percenter biker bars in Cheyenne, Wyoming. The randomness of the trip was almost enough to make her forget about the night in room 217. Almost. She still flashed on the last bout of sleep paralysis often, before falling asleep, the stab of anxiety, Thinking she'd be woken by the distorted shape of her husband atop her was enough to send her out to the living room to fall asleep on the couch to a muted TV. And the times she'd seen ghost Denny in their new house, she couldn't help but associate them all, as if Denny had some sort of entity attached to him that only Kate could see. But now, in their parlor, having heard his parents just leave the house, Kate knew this Denny in front of her was the real one. She could smell the lumber yard scent of his beard oil, the lotion on his arms, the sour bite of his breath from the cigarette he'd probably just smoked. Kate slid off the chair, onto her knees, and hugged him. 
This wasn't sleep paralysis, Denny. This was real. You always say that. Once you wake up, just give it a few minutes. He wasn't being dismissive, but his insistence that the experience with Joan in the basement was like all the rest, made her let go of him and jump to her feet. No, I'll show you. Come on, get up. Kate left the room while both dogs padded behind her like a pair of furry bodyguards. Danny heard her go out through the sliding glass door. He sat for a moment, as if letting the last couple of minutes sink in, then got to his feet. He lit another cigarette before going outside and down the back steps. Outside, the sun had begun to set, and clouds were forming, casting most of the backyard in shadow. In the basement, he found Kate pounding a fist on the plywood walls. She was repeating, This wasn't here. You took these down. Then he stood watching her, smoke curling up from his lips. You had them all stacked against the wall, over there, Kate said, and traversed the room. She placed a hand on the brick wall, right here. Bridging the gap between them, Denny said, I was going to start work down here next week, after my parents moved out. But, Kate said, trailing off. Her eyes darted around the room. Denny reached for her, but Kate recoiled. I'm not crazy, she said. Keeping his hands open to her, Denny said, No one's saying you are. You were just... Denny, I wasn't dreaming. This whole room was different. Torn apart. Open. He gave his wife a wide berth, letting her pace for a time. He smashed his cigarette butt on the concrete floor. After making several revolutions around the basement, Kate tried to push by Denny, but he caught her in the doorway, grabbing hold of her hands. I know you're scared. It's okay. I'm here. Their counselor, Jeanette, had repeatedly helped Denny with his constant need to fix things. Not everything has a fix, Jeanette ingrained in him. Sometimes you just need to listen to Kate. Don't try to find a solution. Just listen. Tell her that it's okay to feel what she's feeling. That's exactly what Denny was doing in that moment, and bless him for it. But it was pissing Kate off. That sort of understanding was for bouts of anxiety, of irrational thoughts. For things that, for lack of a better term, weren't real. This was real. It wasn't a dream. Or was it? Feel the feels, Denny said, and pulled her into his arms. You'll get through this. We both will. My folks are going to be out of here in less than a week. Kate wanted to argue, to rail against him for not believing her story. But over his shoulder, she could see the basement clearly. It was still intact. There was no way Denny or anyone could have taken it apart and put it back together in that sort of time. Her irritation began to dissipate. Maybe she was crazy. Or, like Denny was saying, just dreaming. When the motion sensors clicked off, the basement sunk into shadow, and Kate allowed Denny to lead her out of the basement and back up the stairs into the house. How about a drink? Denny asked. Take that edge off. I could do a glass of wine, Kate said, leaning against the countertop in the kitchen. Denny grabbed a glass and filled it with the box of Chardonnay in the new fridge. Kate downed half the glass in a single gulp, then said, I'm going to change my clothes. Pouring himself a drink, Denny asked, You want me to draw you a bath? 
In that moment, nothing seemed like a better or more soothing option, but this was quickly replaced by the fact that the bathtub was in the same bathroom where the round of craziness had begun. Thanks, Echo, she thought. To Denny, she said, That actually sounds great. Want to take one with me? He smiled. I'm too big for that tub even without you in it. So what? Kate said, and not feeling aroused in the slightest, she licked her lips. I'll make it worth your while. Say no more, Denny said, downed his cocktail, then disappeared into the back of the house. Kate finished her wine, stepped around the dogs who had taken up places on the kitchen floor, and went after her husband. Sex was the furthest thing from her mind, but she didn't want to be alone in that bathroom. Denny would understand. He usually did. Denny's clothes littered the hallway, but Kate could not hear any running water from the bathroom. Instead, she found Denny, naked, kneeling near the foot of their bed. He was running the tips of his fingers on the floor. When she got closer, Kate saw that he was rubbing deep gouges in the wood, hundreds of them, overlapping. They crisscrossed and ran in different lengths and depths. What the fuck, he said. The scratches began where Denny knelt and went around the bed, stopping at the rolling bathroom door. It was about six feet. It looked as if someone were pacing with ice skates back and forth, long enough to take the sheen off, then cast splinters all over the room. Behind her, Roxy and Echo had sat in the doorway. Both were panting. Seeing them, Denny's anger rose. He shouted, Did you do this? Kate grabbed him before he could get to the hallway. This is what I was hearing. That scratching noise in the basement. It was the girls. Here. Upstairs. It's like they were trying to get to me. To save me. Damn it, Kate, that was a dream. Then how do you explain this? They don't do this sort of thing. Never have. What do you mean? They've always torn stuff up. Not like this. Shoes, credit cards, cash, sure. But they never tried to claw their way through the fucking floor. Maybe they heard bugs under the floorboards. Or me, in the basement. Barely hiding his irritation now, Denny seethed. You weren't in the basement. You just integrated sounds of these assholes digging and clawing our floor to shreds into your dream world. As if wanting to add their stance on the subject to defend themselves, the girls came into the room and jumped on the bed. They twirled, then positioned themselves at the foot of the comforter. They lay their heads between paws that hung off the side. And how about this, Kate said, and picked up Echo's right paw. Oh my god, Denny said, his face contorted with a mixture of fear and sadness. All four of their dog's front paws were saturated with dried blood. Some nails were broken or missing, as were patches of hair on their toes. These were the ragged claws of animals that were desperately trying to get away from something sinister that was after them, or desperately trying to save a loved one from that same something sinister. Kate left Denny in the nude, staring at the dogs. When she returned, they cleaned up their pet's wounds without speaking to one another. by Dr. Scarelove. As always, theme music was provided by Atrium Carcheri.
please check out Adrian Carcieri and the Cryo Chamber label on Bandcamp. You can also find links to their work in the show notes. Be sure to like and subscribe. Any reviews on Apple Podcasts are helpful. They have a, an algorithm that really um, drives this show up the charts. So if you could just leave a couple of words there, it would be very, very appreciated. And anyone who leaves a review will get a shout-out in the next episode. And remember, there are two types of people in this world. The haunters and the haunted. Which one are you?